So in November of 1946, there were three Palestinian shepherds down in the Judean foothills. And as they got ready to go home for the night, they realized that they had lost one of their goats. Um, And when you're a teenage shepherd, you do not go home to dad and uncles that live kind of in communal living without one of the goats that you were supposed to watch. So the three boys that were out there, Muhammad Adib, his two cousins, Juma Muhammad, another cousin by the name of Khalil Musa, um, divided up and they started looking for this goat. And they couldn't find him on any of the hillsides, so they started looking in the caves around the Qumran area of the Judean desert. Uh, And as they walked to the caves, instead of going into a dark cave, they didn't know how deep it was, they didn't know what was in there, they decided to take rocks, they didn't have flashlights, and they threw a rock in the cave. This would serve a couple purposes. One, it would tell how deep the cave was, if there was any water in the cave. If the animal was in the cave, it might actually make a noise and scare it out. But as they were throwing rocks in caves, they found something more than a goat. Now they did find the goat and they took the goat home, but as they were throwing rocks in caves, they heard a piece of pottery break and what they found and what would be found over the next 10 years would be the most priceless set of antiquities that had ever been found. They were the Dead Sea Scrolls, more than a thousand pieces of parchment that were more than 2000 years old that remained written on and preserved in what was the most fragile of containers, these more than 2,000-year-old trash cans for all intents and purposes, these pottery jars that they were put in and stuck in these caves, these pottery jars that if a shepherd boy threw a stone at, shattered, these pottery jars that if a goat would have bumped into, would have shattered, this priceless antiquity treasure in probably the most fragile container that could have possibly been used to preserve them. Do you know that that's how Paul describes Christianity? Paul says Christianity basically is the containing of the most priceless treasure that you can possibly have within the most fragile container that can be used to hold it, our life. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 because I want to show you how Christianity, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, is a priceless treasure in fragile containers. And as we walk through 2 Corinthians today, we're going to wrap up this series that we've been calling Death by Distraction. It's our hope this year at our church that you live closer to Jesus than you've ever lived. It's our hope this year at our church that you have a more passionate faith this year than you've ever had. But most of you are not off to the greatest of starts four weeks in because you're busy. You are so busy that you don't know how to shake away some of the distractions to be able to spend time with God. And for four weeks, we've been trying to convince you to become a little less busy so you can spend time with Jesus. And today in 2 Corinthians, we're going to learn two more secrets that are going to kind of cap off this series that show us why it is so important to make sure we have time in the midst of every day, time in the midst of every week, time in the midst of every quarter, time in the midst of every year, to spend a little time pouring into us. I don't know that Paul can say it any clearly, any more clearly than he'll say it today in 2 Corinthians. The first secret he's going to give us, I'm going to give you before I even head into the text. So if you haven't, take your notes out of your bulletin or log on to our app so you can follow along. Paul, Paul says one of the greatest secrets anyone can ever learn in Christianity is this. We are spiritually dependent on weakness. Paul says one of the greatest things that you can understand about Christianity is how dependent you and I are on weakness. Now this appears to be a contradiction. I mean for anyone to be dependent upon something weak doesn't really make sense. We want to be dependent upon things that are dependable. We want to be dependent upon things that are strong. But Paul says when it comes to really pursuing Jesus, One of the best things you can learn how to do is become totally dependent 
upon your weaknesses. That actually makes you strong spiritually. I want to show you how Paul gets there in his own life. As we enter the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this starting the book, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 1. He says, Paul, you would always in ancient days start a letter with your name instead of end a letter with your name. That's why the first word is his name. He's saying, I'm writing this letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in Timothy our brother. So Paul and Timothy are hanging out. They're writing a letter to this church, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. That was the province that the city of Corinth was located in. Paul and Timothy say, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He then goes on to basically say, we love you so much. We've been thinking about you. But in verse eight, he says, I want to catch you up on what's been going on with us because I need you to know what's been going on with us. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed. Brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Paul said things were going so badly, we thought we were going to die. Like, like we thought it was over. But Paul said this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul says, listen, as we passionately pursue Jesus, it is critical that we become spiritually dependent on weakness. Because here's what Paul's teaching, especially in verse 9, and some of us take a long time to get there. Paul said, we can't learn to rely on God until we're unable to rely on self. And so many Christians never get there. They don't get to the point in their faith where they are so weak that they can't rely on themselves. And Paul said, weakness is so great spiritually because we really don't learn to trust God with anything until we have no answer for the current problem. Look at verse 9 again. Paul says, we learned. When When we had no answers, we learned to turn it over to God. Indeed. We felt we had received the sentence of death. So we were out of answers. We had no natural strength. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul said God in Asia allowed us to experience total weakness. We thought it was because he was going to kill us, but it wasn't that. God allowed us to experience total weakness so that we would learn to rely on him And man, if we would not have run out of answers for ourselves, we would have never turned to God. But we realize not only did God rescue us then, he actually continues to rescue us. So we're learning to become dependent on weakness because God gave us a glimpse of how strong he was by convincing us of how weak that we are. So we're learning to become dependent on our weakness. Now, this for me sounds like the opposite of so much of today's preaching, which I would call like pop culture Christianity. Uh, I believe there's a lot of today's Christianity that is missing an authentic piece to it. And this is the piece that we're supposed to be dependent upon weakness. You know, there's this counterfeit Christianity out there. You know, if you, if you have a good enough counterfeit um, $100 bill, somebody might take it. You, you might actually think it has some value to it. And there's a lot of people who believe that there's some value they've had spiritually, but it's a little bit counterfeited because you're receiving a false message of what it means to follow Jesus. Counterfeit Christianity says, when I'm strong, it's because God is strong. 
But when I'm weak, it's because God is weak. Counterfeit Christianity says when things are going like really, really good, it's because God is really, really good. Like, right? He's a really good, good father. Some of you, because things are going good, sang that song with all your heart. God is a good, good father. Others of you, because things are not going good, you actually couldn't sing that song. You question that entire song we just sang because of the weakness in your life. You're saying, you know, I don't know that God is a good, good father. Counterfeit Christianity says basically we judge God based on ourselves, not based on him and his strength. The problem with both of these views, when I'm strong, it's because God is strong, and when I'm weak, it's because God has done something wrong. The problem with both of these views is neither one makes us dependent upon God. I mean, if we think when I'm strong, it's because God is strong, we might praise him, like we might worship, we might follow when things are really good, we might give when money's good, but this view, when I'm strong, it's because God is strong, really doesn't make us dependent upon God. In the view that when I'm weak, it's because God is weak, that doesn't make us dependent on God either. That makes us question God. That makes us doubt God. That makes us angry at God. So we have these two views that says when life is good, God is good, and when life is bad, maybe God's gone. Neither one of those teaches the heart of what Paul's trying to teach us, that we have to learn to be dependent upon weakness. We become like Uzziah when we're strong, King Uzziah. In 2 Chronicles 26, 16, had the great blessing of God on him at the beginning of his reign. And it said when he became powerful, he became proud. And it led to his downfall. Like when he became strong, he gave all that credit for his strength to God. But he didn't really pursue God. He was just like, I'm strong because God has made me strong. But he wasn't dependent on God anymore because he was so strong, he became prideful. And then a lot of us sound like Job's wife. When we're weak, it's because God is weak. In Job 2, 9... When Job's life began to fall apart, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Just curse God and die. So we find ourselves in these two kind of seasons of what I would call counterfeit Christianity. When it's good, praise him. When it's bad, curse him. But it really has very little to do with the strength of God and relying on God. And it has all to do with our lives. So Paul said God had to bring us to the very point of death to get us to turn to him where we could begin to experience his own strength instead of ours. So here's a real problem in both of these cases. When God is strong, or when I'm strong, it's because God is strong, and when I'm weak, it's because God is weak. Neither one of them makes us dependent on God, and a lack of dependency on God creates a lack of desire for God. When you're strong, you don't really think about him every morning because things are good. You think about the strength, but not the source of that strength. And when you're weak, So many times we don't turn to God in our weakness. We turn away from God in our weakness. And we wonder why God could do that or how God did that to us or what God's trying to do in our problems. But a lack of dependency on God creates a lack of desire for God. So Paul tells the church in Corinth, you have to learn to become spiritually dependent on weakness. Later in this same letter, he said, I've become so dependent on weakness. It's actually my favorite thing in life. Now, have you ever heard any Christian say that? My favorite thing in life is my spiritual weaknesses. Because Paul did. If you have your Bible, flip over to chapter 12, if you would. Just a few pages to the right. And then we're going to end up in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So just keep your Bible open during our Bible study time today. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, I not only learned to be dependent on weakness, I actually learned to celebrate weakness. Weakness for me is a big deal spiritually, Paul said. Paul said, I used to ask God to take the weakness away. That's what he said as we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Paul says, I'm begging God to take away my weakness. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is actually made perfect in weakness. 
Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, only then am I strong. Only then do I experience God's strength. Until I say, I can't do it, God doesn't step in. So Paul said, I love things that force me to say, I can't do it. Because then I get to watch God do it. So I've learned to rejoice, Paul says, in weaknesses. I'm like the Dead Sea Scrolls. I've got like this great treasure, but my life is really fragile and I need someone to help me with it. Some of you say, well, I thought, you know, to, to like admit spiritual weaknesses, that was a really bad thing. It meant you didn't love Jesus very much. I thought to admit spiritual weakness would be like to, you know, admit that you're a sinner. No, not in Paul's case. Paul says recognition of our spiritual weaknesses is not fatal. It's not bad for us spiritually. It's actually essential if we want to stay close to Jesus. So Paul says a lot of people will say, listen, if people find out how weak I am spiritually, you know, that'll be like the death trap for me spiritually. Paul says, no, that's actually your source of life. Your source of life is in admitting how dependent you are on God and how far you are from God. That's actually when you get to tap into the power source. So look at how Paul introduces people to Christianity. If you still have your Bible, flip over to chapter 4. Paul begins the book by saying, we, we were so hurting that we thought we were going to die. And then God stepped in, and it was unbelievable. By the end of the book, he said, we're actually now looking for places that hurt because we know that's where God wants to step in. But Paul says, listen to how we introduce Christianity to people because we want them to know life is hard, but God is good. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as he gets to verse 5, for what we preach... Is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourself is servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness. He's going back to Genesis 1 now. For God, who said, let there be light. For God, who spoke light into darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure, Jesus, in jars of clay, our lives and our world. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and it's not from us. Paul says, we've got this priceless treasure, but it's in this fragile container to make us dependent upon God. We have this priceless treasure of Jesus given to us in fragile lives that exist in a broken and hurting world. So Paul says the greatest treasure God could give you, Jesus, he's given to you, but it's in your life, and your life is broken. It's in your life, and your life is fragile. You live in the world, and the world is broken. You live in the world, and the world is fragile. So you've got this priceless treasure of Jesus. But it's in a life that's broken and fragile. It's in a world that's broken and fragile. So you really have to take care of the treasure or it's of almost no value to you. The Dead Sea Scrolls, if they tip over the pottery, the scrolls go away. They were written on parchment or paper. It would have disintegrated instantly. It was only the fragile containers that kept the treasure together. And and Paul says we have fragile containers. Our lives are fragile and they're broken. But if we will work very, very hard to protect the treasure, it will be the thing that is valuable to us. So Paul says following Jesus isn't easy. I actually don't know if following Jesus is possible if we don't clear some other distractions from life. But if we're willing to do that. Paul said if we learn to become spiritually dependent on our weakness, 
we're actually going to learn how to find strength. So you say, Christian, well, what, what do I do? If I want to be strong, but I recognize I've got the treasure of Jesus in a life and in a world that's pretty fragile and it's pretty broken, well, what do I do? Well, you have to admit your weakness first. You know, some of, the, some of the boasting that goes on at the gym, it would be like the exact opposite of like brag. It would be like a humble brag. Hey, did you know that I found out this week I couldn't bench press my marriage? Um, so I got some help with that. I found out I couldn't bench press parenting. So I got some help with that. We begin to boast in the things that are too heavy for us. I couldn't bench press my own finances. So I had to get some help with that. We begin to brag about the things we can't do because that's where God steps in and he helps us. We admit our weakness. We declare our dependency. We cling tightly to Jesus. We learn the secret that we're spiritually dependent upon weakness. And Paul says once we do that, we learn the second secret. We're dependent upon weakness, but we have access to strength. Like we've got this spiritual dependency to weakness. God actually doesn't come in until we get out of the way. But we've got spiritual access to strength. Look at how he continues in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I present this gospel, this Jesus to you who is a treasure in fragile, broken vessels. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, and it's not from us. And then he said, here's what our life looks like. We're hard-pressed on every side. But here's what spiritual life allows. We're not crushed. Here's what our life looks like. We're perplexed. Here's what spiritual life does, but we're not in despair. Here's what our life looks like. We're persecuted. But here's what spiritual life does. It makes us not feel abandoned. Here's what life does. It makes us feel struck down, but spiritual life allows us not to be destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so the life of Jesus may be revealed in us also. Paul is at the exact same time showing us the treasure and the fragile container and saying we need to be more aware of the treasure and we need to tend to the treasure. And this is really key. Paul here freely admits the troubles of life. But at the exact same time, he celebrates the triumphs of the spiritual life. Paul doesn't sugarcoat it. You would never hear Paul say, if you give, you're going to be rich. Paul doesn't sugarcoat it. You'd never hear Paul say, if you just get in church every Sunday, your life is going to be blessed. You'd never hear Paul say that. Paul is actually saying your life is always going to be hard. There's always going to be hurt. You're always going to feel pressured. That's always going to happen. That's life. But spiritual life has something different to it. So Paul says life presses our fragile brokenness. I mean, it presses us to the point of feeling like we can't do it anymore. But the treasure of our spiritual life is not crushed. I mean, life presses us, but because of Jesus, we're not crushed. Life perplexes us in our fragile brokenness. Things happen every week that we think, how could that be possible if God really loves us? How could that be possible when I really work so hard? How could those things happen? There are things in life that perplex our fragile brokenness, but the treasure of our spiritual life is not in despair. It's like we don't quit because of that. Paul says life persecutes our fragile brokenness. There's things that happen that make it very difficult to follow a Jesus and be known as a Christian in our fragile brokenness. But the treasure of spiritual life is not abandoned. We realize we have Jesus right there with us in every one of those situations. And Paul says life strikes down. I don't know if there's anyone sitting in the room who hasn't been to a funeral if you're above the age of 8 or 10 years old. We know life strikes down. Life ends for people. And in our fragile brokenness, we watch life end and we might think life is over. Paul said life strikes down our fragile brokenness, but the treasure of spiritual life is not destroyed. We have hope. 
We believe there's another life after this one. We believe there's an eternal life after this one. So Paul said there is a life that's really, really hard, but there's a spiritual life that is really, really good, and we have to make sure not to focus so much on the fragile container that we ignore the treasure. This is different than counterfeit Christianity. This is spiritual strength. This is allowing every trouble in life to become a dumbbell that you can pick up to make you stronger. This is allowing every hurt in life to become a plate that you can put on a barbell so that you can squat more weight. This is literally using the hard things in life to make you stronger by allowing them to draw you closer to Jesus. We had a strength coach in college who used to walk up and down the walkway of our weight room as people were kind of grunting through a workout, and he would yell this, if it doesn't hurt, it's not helping. If it doesn't hurt, it's not helping. That was actually motivational at the time. When you hear that, it's like, okay, the more it hurts, the more it helps. When we think of that in terms of working out, of running and getting in shape, we're like, yeah, that's so true, but it doesn't feel good to hear Jesus say it. If it doesn't hurt, it's not helping. But that's what Paul is saying here. Paul's saying, we thought we were going to die, it hurt so much, but we realize what doesn't hurt doesn't help. It actually made us dependent on weakness, so we were able to go gain access to spiritual strength. You know what hurt is in the life of a Christian? You know what hurt is in our fragile, broken life? Hurt, every hurt, is a doorway that gives us access to spiritual strength. You know what hurt is? Hurt just means that door you're standing in front of is unlocked. And you can go access spiritual strength if you want to. What if every time we hurt emotionally, our first reaction was to pray? What if hurts are like the the dashboard of our car? What if hurts in our life are nothing more than signals that we need a spiritual checkup again? Right? Every 3,000 miles, the thing comes on. Or if your car, like mine, has 150,000 miles on, it just kind of stays on. And you just guess like when, when you need to go get it updated. Some of you like have had the dashboard light on it. It just stays on because you've got some hurt that God's trying to drive you to the doorway of spiritual access to strength. See, all of our hurts can lead to healing if we'll open the door and let Jesus into those areas of our life. So I know some of your marriages are hurting. God is saying, let me into the middle of your marriage. You see, when your marriage hurts, God says there's a doorway open for you to have spiritual strength in your marriage. I know some of your parenting hurts. That's just a doorway for you to go access spiritual strength. I know some of your jobs hurt, your careers hurt, your finances hurt, your emotions hurt. Those are just doorways for you to go in and access spiritual strength. Paul said, I I realized every one of my weaknesses was just a doorway for me to experience God's grace and God's strength in my life. So some of you are sitting here and you're saying, I, like, I give. I give. My life hurts. My life feels fragile. My life feels broken. Not even Jesus feels secure like treasure. What, what do I do? If, if I'm ready to admit my fragile, broken life is too heavy for me on my own, what do I do? That's a good question. And Paul tells us. As we drop down to verse 16, Paul, again, doesn't dismiss the fact that life is hard. He just says spiritual life is possible. In verse 16, after talking about how difficult Paul is, he says, therefore, we don't lose heart. Like, it's hard, but we don't quit. Though outwardly, we're wasting away our fragile, broken lives. They're wasting away. Though outwardly, it doesn't sometimes get better. Yet inwardly, 
we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul said, we quit making our judgments on God based on how our life looks from the outside. Paul said, we quit making kind of the focus of our everyday lives, what our life looks like on the outside. And we begin every day to strengthen the inside because the inside is what holds up the outside. Say, Christian, I tried and it didn't work. Listen to me. I don't believe that any person who spends 40 days every day pursuing strengthening the inside has an outside that's still falling apart. I truly don't believe that. Paul says, outwardly, you're going to waste away. It's going to happen. You're going to lose your jobs. We're going to be struck down. Marriage is going to be hard. Parenting is going to be, be hard. You're going to attend funerals. Outwardly, things are going to keep going bad. It's just the way our broken, fragile world is. But inwardly, if every day, inwardly, you will focus on building yourself, the treasure of the inside will prop up the broken, fragile parts of the outside. Paul said, I promise, try it. The outside doesn't always show the true value of the inside. Outwardly, it looks like things are bad. Inside, I'm strong, Paul says, because every day I pursue time with Jesus. So the outside doesn't have to tell us the value of the inside. Did y'all read the story about the couple in Massachusetts, old couple who gave all their cans to a food pantry a couple weeks ago? Their daughter came home and said, hey, the local food pantry is doing a deal. Can I take all the stuff in your cabinet? And they were like, yeah, go ahead, whatever. So she took all the soup cans to the pantry and donated them in this local food drive. What they forgot, so they didn't tell her, was that their emergency cash fund was in a fake Campbell's soup can that was actually empty that held 25 $100 bills and their $2,500 kind of emergency savings was donated to the soup kitchen. And when they went the next week to say, we think one of the cans of soup like had $2,500 in it, the people said, we're sorry, we've already given away. They've been distributed all over the city. And the couple said, maybe someone needed it more than we do. They should give them a plaque and like put their picture on the wall for like not fighting that or asking for their money back, Right. But what they were saying is the outside looked so normal. The outside looked so worthless that we forgot how valuable the inside was. And Paul says sometimes you can look in the mirror and feel like your life is worthless. Things are really kind of going in the wrong direction. But Paul said inwardly, if every day, if every day you're pursuing Jesus, you're going to be all right. Like life will break. You won't fall apart. Life will press. You won't be in despair. Like things will be breaking down around you and you'll be centered because of the treasure of Jesus that you have inside of you. So Paul's telling us that Christians have to train themselves to access spiritual strength every day so their troubles never become greater than their triumphs. He didn't say there weren't troubles. He just said if every day we will access the spiritual strength that we have and sometimes we realize the spiritual strength that we need from what hurts, if we will access the spiritual strength every day that we need, the, tri the troubles will never become bigger than our triumphs. You say, how do I do that? Well, Paul says two things today. Admit how hard it is to live for Jesus in this fragile and broken world and aspire every day to feed the treasure because you know that the container that holds them isn't very strong on its own. Yesterday, Danielle and I were out taking a walk because it was just a, a beautiful day in our city. 
Um, and as we were taking a walk, we walked by a dad that was trying to teach his daughter how to ride a bike. Do you remember that stage of parenting or maybe that stage of grandparenting or that, that stage of being a kid? Um, and I was watching this dad as he had, you know, they were in the final stage of bike riding. Um, he had his hand on the back of her seat and he was kind of running along the sidewalk with her. And then he'd push her off and she'd ride a little bit and kind of fall over in the grass and he'd go get her. And I watched him because we were walking around the same loop, just kind of teaching his daughter how to ride a bike. And I don't know if you've realized it or not, but that's what we've been trying to teach you to do this month. This series, Death by Distraction, we were hoping this was just a creative enough title for you to think, I've got too much going on in my life. But this whole series has been about training you every day to spend a little time with Jesus. Like, pull away the veil. This whole series has been about this year trying to give you some training wheel. The No Distractions Challenge, this little band, all this has been, these were training wheels. Depart daily, every day, give Jesus a little bit of time. We're just trying to get you some balance. Withdraw weekly, every week, make Jesus in, you know, have a place where he's important. Quiet quarterly, this abandoned annually. The, the start of this series, all those were, were training wheels to try to get you what it feels like to have Jesus in your life every day. Because we know enough about life now that we know outwardly it wastes away. But inwardly, it can be really, really strong. We know that. We know that through watching people at our church who walk with Jesus. And we want that for you. So every week we've tried to give you some training wheels, but today is the last lesson. Today the training wheels are off. Today we're running behind you and we're going to give you one final push and we're going to yell at you what that dad yelled at his daughter. Pedal, 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 pedal. We're going to run behind you one final time and then we're moving into the next sermon series and we are one more time going to push you to try to ride with an eternal perspective, making time for Jesus every day, every week, every quarter, once a year. That's been the goal of this entire series. We are trying to point you towards an eternal perspective. The outward is wasting, the inside can be strong, but you have to keep pedaling and you have to stay focused in the right direction. This has not just been about one month of learning what it looks like to have some time for Jesus. We're trying to every day get you to strengthen the inside because the truth is the outside is wasting away. So one more time, we're gonna ask you to pedal. We're gonna give you one more no distractions challenge. I think our last one is our best one. We're gonna ask you once again to depart daily. And we want you to do that in February by spending 21 days in February going through our 21 days of prayer and fasting guide. I think one of the greatest resources that we've ever given away is this one right here. You can get this when you leave. 21 days of prayer and fast. Say, what is fasting? Does that mean I can't eat? No, fasting is this. Fasting is withholding something so you can focus on something more important. That's all it is. Withholding something, so it's replacing. Replacing something that's not as important with something that is most important. Inside this, there's actually listed 10 things. Just thoughts that maybe, hey, maybe for the next 21 days, you can do less of this so that you can spend a little time focusing on God. Why? Because the outside life is wasting away but the inside can be really strong if you'll focus on Jesus. And then through this little guide, we teach you how to pray, why to pray, just a, a, like 12 pages, and then we've got a 21-day prayer journal. Pray this on day one, pray this on day two, pray this on day three. It's our goal that in February, you'll spend 21 of the 28 days in February quieting your soul and strengthening the inside. The treasure is there, protected and built into it. The container is really fragile but the treasure is really valuable. So Paul says every day, focus on the treasure. So we're gonna give you this, and I wanna challenge you, do this with a friend, 
Do it with a family member or with your family. Do it with your small group. We've actually got family meal prayer time. We've got a page in here that says, here's how your family can pray at meals and make this an emphasis for your family as you pray at meals. Just some really good insight for how to make God a priority every day the next 21 days. But do it with some accountability. That's always the best way to do things. Secondly, I want to challenge you again as we end this month. As you withdraw weekly, I really want to encourage you to make an effort to be on church, on, be at church on Sundays this year more than ever before. There are 48 Sundays left this year. Don't show up at Easter and then at Christmas and then on Mother's Day and then on, on the days that there's not something else happening. Let something else revolve around church. We have four services. We start really early. We go really late. So you can kind of pick and choose how to be here. And when you can't be here, you can listen online. But listen, be here. Be here as families. Make it an effort to withdraw weekly, to come to church, to worship, to learn, to be with other Christians. Three, I want you to quiet quarterly. When is that weekend that you're going to take? Now, don't all take the same weekend or no one will be at church that weekend. But I want you to think of a weekend that just don't tell anyone else that you're going to take. You're not going to come to church. You're not going to go to work. You're not going to let your kids play sports. You're not going to do band stuff. You're not going to do dance stuff. On this weekend, the only thing that matters from Friday at about 5 p.m. to Sunday at 5 p.m. is your family pull away and get close to one another. And then I want to add an abandoned annually challenge. I want all of you to take a family vacation. We talked about that this year. But I want you to consider serving on a mission trip in the next 24 months. Once you learn how to take a little time off and you realize that you leave and you come back and your job's still there, that you leave and you come back and things are still kind of wasting away, but you feel stronger on the inside, then you can start getting purposeful in your time off. I want to challenge you in the next 24 months, go to Guatemala with us. Go to Israel with us. Go to the Los Angeles Dream Center with us. Pastor Scott's in Houston today trying to figure out how we can connect with churches impacted by Hurricane Harvey. Take a week off to go serve somebody else. You say, why? Because you've got a treasure. You've got a treasure inside the clay jar of your life. And if you will share that with somebody else who's broken and fragile, they can be strong on the inside while everything else is wasting away. Here's what I believe. If you take this final challenge... Your life won't just look different, it will be different. It actually will be different. And while the world is crumbling around you, the treasure of your soul will be strong because you've fed it, because you've tended to it, because you've made it valuable in your life. But you have to believe you're weak enough without Jesus to need him every day. And you have to believe that if you call on him when you're hurting, that he'll step in and he'll help immediately. And I believe if you do that consistently enough, like Paul, you'll say, you know what, I wasn't sure I was going to make it. But then God showed up. And I've learned he always shows up when you ask him to. I believe that can be the story of your testimony, just like it was Paul's. Will you pray with me?